1: Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind, so when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate.
2: Abner Maris is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Maris, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and man he is today. They chat about topics like the state of boxing, being a husband and a girl dad, sports, music, culture, and family life. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Maris each week wherever you get your podcasts. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays.
3: 20 minutes a day, 365 days a year, this is the Pack-A-Day Podcast.
2: Happy Monday,
3: probably
2: as you were not screaming at the Packers yesterday, so that's good. I hope you're well rested. Welcome back into the Pack-A-Day Podcast, presented by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. And uh, we're going to get into some non-bi-week stuff, because it's finally over. I'm Alex Strofe. You can find me on Twitter at Alex underscore Strofe, joined every other Monday by the wonderful Andy Herman and Perry Goldstein. Hi, guys. How are you?
1: Hey, Alex. Doing great. I think you reversed those. I think it's just normal Andy Herman and the wonderful Perry. (laughs) (laughs) Goldstein.
2: Totally average Andy Herman. That's inaccurate. (laughs) Everything good with you, Perry? How's it been?
4: Good, I'm happy to be back. I know I missed an episode 2 weeks ago. Already feels like forever ago that yeah. that Saints game was played, but so happy to be back with you both and unfortunately we don't have Packers to talk about, but I think we'll find a way to 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 chat about some some week things.
2: Yeah, we're going to we're going to get to uh, a little question rotation fun little thing uh, activity we'll call it later in the episode. Uh, But we might as well jump at least a little bit into what happened in the world of the National Football League on Sunday. Uh, One of the, if not the biggest headline, though, not a fun one, Dak Prescott, gruesome, gruesome ankle injury, uh, had surgery Sunday night. We're recording Sunday night, so uh, no updates on the surgery yet. But uh, looking like Dak Prescott, who is on the franchise tag, uh, will be missing some extended time. You just never like to see that, Andy.
1: No you don't it's it's the worst part about sports and it's such a juxtaposition of having Alex Smith come back from a two year mm-hmm. injury and uh, you know, working his way back, what do they say, seventeen surgeries he had to to come back and have this, right. this great story in the noon games and then you know the three thirty slot comes and goes and, and Dak Prescott goes out with just a gruesome injury. You know, he's crying on the cart, you just your heart just breaks for him. Yeah. He's in that, you know, the last year of his deal, they franchised him, they didn't give him the long term contract in, in a way in, in a way very different, but in a way somewhat similar to Lane Taylor, you know, kinda of playing on, you know, not that that contract extension, trying to go out, prove himself and get that big deal Uh, you hated to see it for Lane you you hate to see it for Dak and um, you know it's just one of those situations where you know I'm not sure there's been anything where I've seen uh, everyone come together in the way that everyone was so supportive of Dak which was great to see Um, from all accounts just one of the the great people in all of football you know as as difficult as it is to cheer for the Cowboys from time to time it's so easy to cheer for Dak Prescott and uh, just really hoping that he recovers well and is back sooner rather than later.
2: Yeah, despite the injury to Dak, the Cowboys did get the win uh, on Sunday. But Perry, obviously, this is a a crushing blow, as Andy mentioned, to the Cowboys.
4: Yeah, I I couldn't agree more with everything Andy said. I thought the juxtaposition of watching Alex Smith, you know, take his first snaps under center and then to watch another, you know, I think Alex Smith and Dak are very similar in that it's just like kind of impossible to root against them. And uh, and then Dak goes down with a somewhat similar injury, although I hope that his recovery is is quicker um, and and less <laughs> scary. Right. Um, but I I think that just looking at his situation with the Cowboys, um, I personally would be very surprised if he was the quarterback for the Cowboys next season. I I think that his time. In Dallas is up, and he's going to get the contract that he deserves, but it's going to be with another team.
2: Yeah, maybe not even the contract he deserves, Perry, just with this injury, depending on the outcome. But, of course, we hope it's a lot less severe than that of Alex Smith. And I think we should get to that now, because that's that's one of the big notes of Sunday as well. And I don't want to brush over the terrific and almost historic, I'd say, comeback that Alex Smith has made. I tweeted on Sunday – As soon as Kyle Allen went down and Alex Smith went into that game for the Washington football team, you can hand that man the Comeback of the Year trophy. I mean, that that is just unbelievable stuff, Perry.
4: Yeah. No, it's – I was definitely nervous watching it. Like, any time – like, he got got sacked, I think, six times or something like that. And every time anyone got close to him, I was like, oh, my God, I hope his leg is okay. But obviously he wouldn't be in there if – he wasn't fully healthy, and I don't think him or his family would put his body in jeopardy. So, nonetheless, just an amazing, amazing thing to watch. I think any time I get sick or stub my toe, like, I, I'm not allowed to complain anymore after watching
1: his, his journey. <laughs> I, I think that's fair. And, uh, you know, the interesting thing about that NFC East with the Cowboys coming back and winning against the Giants, it's easy to kind of gloss over that when you you lose your starting quarterback. And make no mistake, this is a— major shatter point in the you know franchise of the Dallas Cowboys. As we already talked about, what happens with Dak from here on out? Is he even in their plans? You know, Is he healthy for the start of next season? Uh, does he exit because he, you know he's frustrated that he didn't get the contract prior to this injury? This changes the Cowboys franchise, not only this season, but for here on out. And, of course, Mike McCarthy, the, the head coach in Dallas. But they did you know secure a win today coming back against the Giants. It wasn't pretty, but oddly enough, they're 2-3 and three in the NFC East, which is, oh, by the way, good enough for first in the NFC East. And even with Andy Dalton, at quarterback, I'm not yeah. so sure that this isn't the best team still in the NFC East right now.
2: I, I don't know how, how they're not, right? I mean, maybe you could talk about Philadelphia, but but what we saw from the 49ers on Sunday is they got blown out. They didn't only lose the Miami Dolphins, they got blown out by the Miami Dolphins. So maybe that, that Sunday night win over the 49ers isn't as impressive for Philly now. But uh, you know, Mike McCarthy, you know, under 500 and still in first place. I guess that'll get the job done, Mike. We're proud of you. Um, so let's go over to that 49ers loss, if you guys don't mind. Uh, they just get pummeled, as I said, by the Dolphins. The final was 43 to 17. The the giant, or excuse me, the Dolphins were up 30 to seven at halftime. Uh, Jimmy G was benched. They said it was precautionary for health purposes, obviously, uh, but just interesting stuff. I mean, that that is the reigning NFC champion, and they are getting
1: blown out by the Dolphins, Andy. This, this, this <laughs> yeah. is unreal, man. It is. And Alex, you and I uh, spoke with, you know, uh, Jacob Westendorf and Peter Bukowski yesterday, or I should say Saturday, um, and uh, had a great conversation. And one of the conversations that we brought up, and, and kudos to Peter for uh, saying this as much as it pains me to say that, um, you know, he, he, he brought up that, you know, this isn't the same 49ers team as a season ago. And while I think myself and a lot of people have kind of felt like that Packers game in San Francisco is going to be a good litmus test, Maybe it's not quite the litmus test that we expected. And this is not the 2019 San Francisco 49ers in a variety of different ways. Jimmy G gets benched today. He looked like a shell of himself. And I think uh, we were talking off air about this, but as, as Perry mentioned, you know, I, I, don't, I think his injury was certainly playing a, a part in that. He didn't seem like he was – you know, fully confident planting and and kind of throwing and and just having that confidence in his throwing motion. Um, So I think that's a big piece of it. But their defense, I I shudder to think how many people that they've had injured so far. And it's not just like they're missing five or six guys here and there. Like Nick Bosa is done for the year. And even besides injuries, like DeForest Buckner trading him prior to the season, that is a major loss Mm -hmm. for that team. And I, I get You know, that they've, you know, tried to make replacements. Javon Kinlaw is a really nice young rookie, but they've lost a lot along that defensive line. D Ford is out right now and their secondary is beat up, their offense is beat up. And regardless, I look back to a couple seasons ago when Green Bay played San Francisco at home, and this was before uh, that you know that Kyle Shanahan offense really had you know been in full steam and you know before they made their big playoff run, I think that was a team. What was it? Was Nick Mullins the quarterback? or Maybe it was Bethard That I think it was Bethard that night. Yeah. That was the quarterback uh, against the Packers. They still put up thirty some points and made that a competitive game. And Aaron Rodgers had to go out and and make a big comeback in that season. You know the Forty ers have been competitive for a very long time. Um, you know, no matter what the injuries have been, no matter what the situation has been, that was not the case today. And I think the the question is fair right now. We talked about are the Cowboys the best team in the NFC East? Are the 49ers the worst team in the NFC West?
2: I think so, right? I, I think you, you almost have to, uh, you know, through five weeks, at least that's, that's what it seems in the small sample size, but that's almost, you know, a third of the season. So, yeah, I, I think right now the Cardinals are still kind of, you know, it's really hard to gauge where they're at, but they got a nice win on Sunday against the Jets. So, again, hard to gauge where they're at three 3-2. But the, the 49ers just aren't the team of last year, as you said, Andy. And, and, you know, when you think about that 2019 49ers team, you think of the defensive line. And now looking, you, you mentioned DeForest Buckner out of there, Solomon Thomas is on the IR, Nick Bose is on the IR. You look at that defensive line as the best Core part of that team a year ago, maybe. So uh, definitely tough, and that allowed the Ryan Fitzpatrick to light a little Fitz magic. But Perry, would love to hear your 49ers take.
4: Yeah, I mean, they're obviously, I think everyone across the league is dealing with injuries and a lot more serious than I think I've ever seen. I, I haven't seen as many like Achilles tears and ACL tears yeah. than we have this season, and I think that's contributing from you know the lack of the off season or the shortened off season I should say and I think that there's something to be said for the shortened off season also affecting like growth and and cohesion across teams and potentially the combination of the two is leading to a little bit of a of a slump from the 49ers I I hate the kind of superstition but I feel like The loss in a Super Bowl, that hangover that next season, is so real. We saw it Mm -hmm. with the Rams. They're just starting to bounce back again, Um, and I wonder if that's what we're seeing with the 49ers as well. I'm not the biggest Jimmy G fan. I think he's like a little bit overrated and really just serviceable, Um, and I think with losing so many key players, we're seeing some of those deficiencies from him. And there's only so much that Kyle Shanahan can do and can scheme up if Jimmy G just like can't throw the ball. Um, so I I don't know. I do think that they're in the bottom tier of the NFC West, but I mean it was always going to be a competitive division, always. Like going into it, you knew all four teams were gonna be good and right. um, you know, they're what, two and three after Today and yeah. they're in fourth, and then you look at the Cowboys and they're two and three and they're in first. So <laughs> it all it kind of makes me think about is how maybe some of this uh, divisional. as a, you know, a means to getting into the playoffs maybe needs to be fixed
3: a little bit.
1: It needs to be trashed, a million percent. Like, it it makes no sense that you could have a really bad division like the NFC East, and you're going to reward the best team in a crappy division and send them to the playoffs. And I get with, like, seven teams going in each uh, conference, it maybe isn't that big of a deal anymore. But if there's not a team that's worthy of, you know, being in the playoffs, I guess I would put it this way. You know, the division winner in each division gets in as long as you have a 500 record or better. Like if you're below 500, you don't get in the playoffs. If, 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 that, if you're still the seventh best team, then fine, so be it. But if you, the only way you get that automatic spot uh, as a division winner is if you're a 500 or better. Um, otherwise, it goes to the next best team. I think that would be an easy fix for that. And no matter what, even if you are going to keep it, please, for the love of all things holy, reseed the playoffs so that the NFC East, you know, doesn't get the fourth seed on um, <laughs> right. the seventh best team in the playoffs. It's just so dumb to do it that way.
2: Uh, it, it is, but you know they're never going to change it because it's the NFL, Andy. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's unfortunate, but I mean we at least we got an expanded playoff, I, I guess. I mean now the uh, now the two seed will beat up uh, on the, uh, the 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 probably somebody that's five hundred or nine and seven. So so be it. But we'll go from the reigning NFC champion losing on Sunday to the reigning Super Bowl champion losing on on Sunday. The Raiders top the Chiefs, guys. I mean, uh, they go down for the first time this year now, four and have 4-1. The Raiders, though, up to 3-2, and two, and they posted 40 points. Derek Carr looked really good again.
4: Yeah, I actually was able to watch that game. I uh, in New York, I always unfortunately have to watch the Jets and the Giants. Those are the games that I get. But today, the football gods bless me with a Chiefs game, Lucky and you. or I should say the broadcast gods, not really the football gods. But um, it was awesome. The Raiders defense came to play. I really came to play. I, I haven't seen a defense sort of make Mahomes stumble in a way that the Raiders did today. And even with some magical, beautiful throws. The offense couldn't couldn't get it done, and in the fourth quarter, I think it's safe to always say, you know, the Chiefs are always in it. Um, But going for it on fourth down, that's some Gruden balls right there. I loved it. It was awesome to watch.
1: Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st.
2: It was awesome to watch. Andy, let me put it this way for you. Uh, Is this kind of a trap flute game, or are the Raiders for real?
1: Yeah, I'm not a John Gruden believer in any way, shape, or form, but (laughs) I think you have to take uh, some notice after they beat the Chiefs. Uh, I think that's no easy task no matter what. I do feel like this was... Um, I don't know if it was you could say it was building. I mean, they've they've had great wins against the Ravens and Patriots the last couple of weeks, but I thought you saw some weaknesses against the the Chargers early in the season where the Chiefs looked a little bit more beatable, and then in this game they they definitely looked beatable. Uh, I still think the Chiefs are the scariest team in the NFL, you know, in the NFL, yep. just a team that you don't want to play, and Mahomes is just so damn good, but. I think this defense for the Chiefs isn't quite what it was a season ago, and uh, I think teams are starting to figure out a little bit how to maybe slow, if not stop, this Chiefs team. You know, you look back, the, the Chargers held them to 23 points, the Patriots held them to 26. I know they got 32 today, but they were really 20, you know, it was 24 points and down by 16 before they kind of got uh, a garbage time, eight points at the end. So, it, it, again, this is still a very high-powered and really talented Chiefs team, but you at least for the first time in a while start seeing a couple holds that teams have been able to, to kind of poke in their, uh, you know, what seemed like, you know, invulnerability. At one point,
2: yeah, that's well said. Um, and, and you know, it, again, I just want to double down on the sentiment you made. The Chiefs, by far, the, the last team you probably want to play in the NFL any given Sunday, though. As as John Gruden and company get the win over the Chiefs in, in solid fashion, we mentioned Alex Smith made his return to the NFL field for the Washington Football Team, but they got rolled as the Rams four and one. They look. For real, 30-10 uh, to 10 final in that one. Andy, would love to hear the, the diagnosis on Los Angeles. Uh, Perry mentioned just a bit ago that Super Bowl hangover a year ago, but they look more like they're back to 2018 form.
1: Yeah, I think getting Cooper Cup back, it was a really big step for this team. And I think last year when they went out and got Jalen Ramsey, you know, I don't think that he was, you know, I think they were still trying to figure out how to use him. They basically used him last year primarily as an outside corner. And this year they're kind of moving him all over the place. Aaron Donald looks like himself once again. And I, I just think you're seeing this team win in a variety of different ways. You know they they did have the loss to the Bills and a couple of their wins. I mean, let's be fair. Their four wins are all against the NFC East. They beat the the football team, the Giants, the Eagles, and the Cowboys. That's their four wins. <laughs> their one loss is against the the Bills. And I think this this team coming up is going to have a lot harder schedule. Not only do they face everyone in the NFC West mm-hmm. twice, which is a really tough division. They've also got the Bears, the Seahawks, the Buccaneers, the Patriots. Um, you know, so this is this is a very very difficult schedule. Uh, upcoming for the Rams and I think we're going to learn a lot more about them um, besides just maybe four wins against the NFC East but I I love what they're doing so far both offensively and defensively. Do you think they're a playoff team Andy? Oh a million percent a playoff team and they're definitely going to get one of those seven spots I'd be shocked if they didn't but uh, you know we'll see at the end of that stretch of really tough games if we're looking at you know a team that's a number two number three seed or maybe squeaking in as a six or seven seed.
2: Yeah, that's a lot better than your food takes over the weekend. That <laughs> <laughs> Twitter on fire. Right. Uh, make, just making sure you didn't want another uh, do another hot take there and say the Rams weren't going to make the playoffs. I just had to check. Perry, uh, Los Angeles four one.
4: Yeah, I uh, I also agree with Andy that their wins are you know they they could be more impressive. Right. I, I I think the team itself looks good. Obviously beating up you know winning by twenty against the Washington football team. OK, um, I, I, I think they're probably really excited about their record going into the difficult stretch because it gives them some kind of cushion there. Um, but playing some of these harder teams that are definitely going to, like, I think, affect the playoff um, landscape later in the season, um, that'll be an interesting litmus test for them. Um, but I'm a fan of what they're doing. I, I didn't enjoy watching them struggle last season. Um, I did, I'm a big fan of Sean McVay um obviously very similar offense to Matt LaFleur so it's easy to kind of like what he does on the football field but I I didn't enjoy watching them struggle and I'm glad that they're you know got their footing back um I would be remiss if I didn't comment on just how dorky Jared Goff is I think (laughs) think he is just the like kind of anti-QB1 in like the best way possible so um so yeah it's it's I didn't catch a ton of it today, um, mostly highlights from, from Alex Smith starting, but um, like what they're doing.
2: I was I was curious if either of you you mentioned Jared Goff's dorkiness. Did did you catch his failed spike where he that's threw it what like I ten was, yards? Yeah, yeah, that's
4: what I was alluding to. <laughs> yeah,
2: wow, goofy indeed. Uh, but the the Rams, while well, the wins might might not uh, might not be super impressive, still four and one. That's that's a pretty darn good record through five games. Uh, what, another four and one.
1: Dorky, you know, while he's a little bit dorky, Alex, I have to say, you know, he, he's played much, much better this season and you know the touchdown interception is, ratio is only six to two. Uh, but he's completely 72% of his passes. And it's been really interesting for you know for me watching a couple of these quarterbacks closely how Carson Wentz has gone from you know obviously those were you know those two were picked one and two in the draft, Gough one, Wentz two, how Wentz started out, just gangbusters looked like he was going to win the MVP of that season before he goes out. They win the Super Bowl with Nick Foles. He doesn't come back strong, and now his you know Wentz is all over the place. His mechanics are messed up. Now, that offensive line is brutal. The weapons aren't there. But, again, I I hate to use juxtaposition twice in the same, you know, open of the show here, but... Uh, you know the juxtaposition between him and Jared Goff, who Goff looked terrible his, his first season, looked a little bit better with you know who, you know who you know Matt Lafleur helping you know guide the way uh, in his second season, and then uh, you know kind of took a little bit of a step back. I think Cooper Cup being gone, but get, he looks much improved this year. And right now, if you had to choose between Carson Wentz and Jared Goff, I think for the most part everyone's picking Jared Goff at this point, which is crazy to say if you look at him just a couple of years ago.
2: Yeah, that, quite the turn of events, but I, I totally agree. Perry, you you would go golf over Wednesday, soon
4: Yeah, for sure. Yeah,
2: okay, unanimous. I figured. I just wanted to wanted to be sure. Okay, good stuff. Uh, so four and one, as mentioned, and, and golf looks a, a ton better than he did a year ago. I mean, he signed that huge contract, and it looked like he could have been guilty of highway robbery a few times last year. But uh, he's he's rebounded and has the Rams in a really nice spot in that really tough NFC West. Another four and one team is the Browns, is they got a win over the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday. And I saw an amazing stat that that I uh, had to retweet um, from McNeil, reflog18 on Twitter. Kevin Stefanski has more wins with the Browns in five games than Hugh Jackson did in 40 games. I mean, that is just a ridiculous stat.
1: It really is, and uh, my favorite quote from this game, and I had to pause for a second because as we're recording this, uh, Delvin Cook just kind of pulled up lame a little bit and is holding, I think, his hamstring, I want to say, oh, so that's oh, no. kind of a, a major development for the Minnesota Vikings as we're literally recording this at the moment. Um, I'm still listening to you guys, I swear. I wasn't watching the game. But uh, oh, of course. Going, going back to the Browns for just a second, my favorite quote from this game uh, what did Baker say? He said, "We're trying to be a bunch of big, hairy American winning machines." Uh, was wow. Baker Mayfield's quote from this game? So, uh, they're doing well so far at being uh, a bunch of big, hairy American winning machines, and uh, they now had, or I think they said four and one. Uh, for the first time since before Baker Mayfield was born, I think uh, I saw the statistic today. So, uh, yeah. this has been a fun team to watch. I'm kind of a Baker believer, even though he had a rough game—not uh, a rough game, but not his best game today. He said uh, it was the, you know, their worst game, or it was—they said. Excuse me. He said it was his worst game of the season so far, Um, so he kind of thought the same thing. But uh, I really do enjoy watching this Browns team win football games.
4: It's pretty easy to root for the Browns because they've been so bad for my entire living memory that when they win, it's like, oh yay, good for you. Um, But I saw today that to what you just said Andy is that the last time the Browns were four and one Nick Saban was their defensive coordinator so if that doesn't make you old yeah um yeah it's it's nice to see a team that's been bad for so long kind of maybe feel like they're finally breaking that curse um as someone like I mentioned earlier who has to always watch Jets games because they're always on here um it's I I kind of feel that you know you constantly are watching a team just be god-awful it's almost like you don't even want to watch Mm -hmm. um and so for Browns fans it's really exciting um I'm not the biggest Baker believer uh unlike you Andy um but I think that their offensive weapons give him every opportunity possible to be successful um and they have the best rushing attack in the league right now so um it's it's really nice to watch
2: and there's a clear difference, it almost seems, from uh, Freddie Kitchens a year ago to Kevin Stefanski, who's found his footing really well, uh, not to give him too much credit as a former Vikings coach, but <laughs> uh, he's really found his footing well as the head coach uh, of the Browns. So they're at 4-1 and one as well, a really, really, really good start. Yeah, longer yeah, than I've been alive, their best start. Un- unreal.
1: For sure. All Just right. to give a uh, a update on Delvin Cook. Again, most people that are listening to this are – Probably already going to be aware of this on uh, Monday, but he headed uh, to the locker room and uh, seems to be a groin injury is what the initial uh, diagnosis is. So he's going to the locker room with trainers as we speak. So that'll definitely be something worth monitoring. And I know our next topic of discussion anyway, Alex, is yeah, going to be getting up yeah, you got this too. So yeah, not only was Dan Quinn fired, but Thomas Dimitrov, the general mm-hmm. manager, both officially fired. So a lot of uh, breaking news as we're recording the podcast here tonight.
2: Yeah, let's let's go to Atlanta because you know it seemed like it probably should have been a done deal. I don't know, maybe uh, 365 days ago with Dan Quinn, uh, but th- that's just my opinion on it. But here we are. Uh, it's a, it's a Black Monday in Atlanta as as both Dan Dimitrov are fired after their 0-5 start. Uh, I, I mean, Atlanta, they, they seem like a team with so much power on offense, and it seemed like a team that was just too darn talented to go 0-5. But the Panthers, when they're third straight, they're 3-2, and 23-16 in the final. But as mentioned, the big headline is Dan Quinn is out of Atlanta. And, Andy, we talked about it a little bit yesterday. I, I didn't know this guy was a, de- a defensive coach until like two weeks ago, and uh, it, it again didn't show – uh, a whole lot against that game, uh, or excuse me, that game against Carolina, so um, uh, I mean, the writing's been on the wall, but but here we are, I, I, I'd be interested to hear uh, both of your opinions on Dan Quinn, and now obviously the GM, Dimitrov, out of Atlanta. Perry, we can swing it to you first.
4: Yeah, it's interesting, because it obviously is necessary, um, right. you know, you're 0-5, um, to me, I'm kind of surprised that Adam Gase hasn't been fired first, but um, you know, do you want to talk about a Super Bowl hangover? I mean, I feel like the Falcons haven't been able to get out of that 28-3 to 3 cloud um, since that game, and, you know, it's hard. I don't... <sighs> How do I put this? It's it's hard to watch anybody get fired, even when you know that it's the right thing to do for the team. You know, that's a man who has a family who just lost his job. And so it, it pains me a little bit when I see people rejoicing over things like that, Um, because you never want to see people lose their job. But, you know, Matt Ryan is, I think, uh, he was at one point a great quarterback who's now a little bit lost his touch. And, with potentially a new coaching regime coming in, um, you know, maybe the Falcons are in position to get one of those top quarterbacks in the coming draft. Um, and so we might be seeing, like, a complete Falcons rebuild. Um, I would be very curious to see who gets this job. Um, I'm fully on the train of wanting Eric Bien and me to finally get his first head coaching job. I think Falcons and Texans are probably the best landing spots for him. So um, definitely going to be on watch. But it's, it's a bittersweet thing to see.
2: Just real quick, Andy, before you jump in, uh, just a little bit more info. Is this literally the official press release from the Falcons? Just came out. Uh, Falcons President and CEO Rich McKay will oversee uh, day-to-day oversight uh, of football operations in the interim, and they will announce a uh, interim head coach on Monday. The Falcons will. So that has not been named yet, but we will we will see who takes over at least on an interim basis uh, later today. I'd assume. So Andy, yeah, Dan Quinn and Dimitrov both
1: out. Yeah, and I think that it makes smart sense to have both kind of go together because I think there was flaws not only with the the coaching, but I think there was flaws with the the makeup of the roster as well. That you know this defense just didn't have you know really the the horses or the players to run uh, you know Dan Quinn's team the way that he wanted to. You know their their defensive front seven was okay, but uh, their secondary was was really a mess, not only due to injuries, but even kind of you know prior to that. And then from a coaching standpoint, and I, I absolutely appreciate your your sentiments on this, Perry, as well, because I hate seeing you know people get fired. Um, but I you know I think at some point when you're you know your job as a coach is obviously to get wins, and when you, not only are you in situations to win football games, but you choke them away so bad. Going back to the Super Bowl, two big games, you're up ahead. You know what was it, 17 some points in both of those games, I think yeah. it was, and you choke away both of those games, and then. You know, and then come back play a really lackluster game against the Packers, and then another lackluster game against the Panthers. I was I was honestly, legitimately surprised that he was at that game at Lambeau. I thought after the second straight mm-hmm. you know game where they where they blew the big lead, I thought that was going to be it going into week four, and um I was very surprised that, that that he made it to Lambeau, much less to Carolina, and now obviously he's not going anywhere past that. But at at some point. We have seen teams over the years, and, you know, Belichick's a great example of this, but I think, you know, some of the Packer teams, uh, you know, now and and in the past too, some of those teams just know how to win football games regardless of situation, circumstance, etc. I think the Packers' recent win against the Falcons with all their injuries is a great example of that. And other teams, and you know the names as we've discussed already, usually the Browns, the Jets, you know, some of these front offices and, and coaching staffs that just don't know how to implement a culture, and this is an example of a team that just didn't know how to close football games, how to win football games. They didn't have that winning mentality. And Perry, you're a million percent spot on ever since that, that Super Bowl loss where they really had their soul taken from them. They just haven't been able to recover. And this is now the, the birth of a new era in Atlanta, and it'll be interesting to see what direction they go in.
2: And that's a team that's that's been in the mix, it feels, since Matt Ryan's come into play, I think, in 2008. So... It, it will be really, really interesting to see a rebuild for a team that was in the Super Bowl, what, three years ago? Uh, so that's just, just crazy, or three and a half now, I guess. But nonetheless, uh, that is that is uh, mainly your, your football Sunday wrap-up recording, as mentioned, during the Seahawks-Vikings game, but an interesting one uh, due to implications. Of course, Perry was very vocal on Twitter. She's cheering for the Vikings for the first time in her life, maybe, so uh, it pains us all to see that happening. But uh, non-football news on Sunday as well, just briefly uh the lakers won the nba championship over the miami heat in game six uh so uh kind of poetic obviously the year kobe bryant passes away and the los angeles lakers again on top of the association so there's a brief update uh from from non-football stuff but from general football stuff we can now move into some packers talk because that's what we do here isn't it uh and andy you were a way through the season you grade uh, every player on every place. So you you are more informed than probably anybody on this planet of how these players have been, uh, have been performing through four weeks. So you have your top five players through four weeks and your bottom five players on the roster through four weeks. I, I'm just going to give you the floor, my man.
1: The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year but you can be in on the action at bet online bet online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props bet online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins division and championship futures all day, every day, head to bet online online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses don't forget to use the promo code BlueWire at BetOnline.ag. That's Blue Wire, all one word.
0: BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to spend a, a super ton of time because I want to get into some of the questions we want to get into, but uh, Perry, I'll ask you first. Do you want me to go through uh, defense, or excuse me, the, the lowest graded first or the, the the highest graded first?
4: Let's start bad and, and get, then get to the good.
1: All right, so here's the good news of the bad. So uh, even though I do have five players on this list, I only have two players that are, have graded below negative 1.0, which is insane. So wow. the other three players on this list are basically not far from neutral at all. So I really only have two players in the negative and nobody's negative three or lower, which again is also really crazy. So uh, the, the good news is, is the bad has not been bad at all, which I, I think is probably what most people would expect. I think this is the first time that we've gone four games into a season, and I haven't heard anyone like calling for anyone to be cut. I mean, maybe if, you know the, the defensive line early in the season there was some angst about, but uh, there's not been that player that's been like, oh, we got to get rid of this guy. You know, from, from a fan standpoint. So uh, fifth lowest on my list. Well, actually, is tied for, for fourth, I guess. Tyler Lancaster and Jay Sternberger, both with, again, very close to neutral grades, but uh, negative 0.45 grades for both of them. Um, Third was uh, Josh Jackson, mostly from this last game that he got in and and played a little bit more. Still very grabby, still very handsy. Uh, Probably could have called him for a couple of uh, penalties that didn't get called. He did get called for a different one. Um, that's kind of one concern I have is if Jair King were to go down, uh, or Sullivan for that matter is just kind of the depth in that sec, er, in the cornerback room. Um, and if Josh Jackson or Kadar Hallman could step up, but Jackson's third. And then the, the two that really have graded in the negative so far, uh, Preston Smith with a negative 2.6 and Dean Lowry with a negative 2.95. I think the big surprise here, Preston Smith, in 18 games a season ago, only two of those that I have him graded in the negative. Through through again 18 games this year he's graded in the negative in all four games so double basically his his negative grades from a season ago Um, his pressures are down per game it's like 3.4 last year to 1.25 this year in pressures per game Pro Football Focus is way down on him this year as well so uh, if you don't want to take my grades verbatim you can check theirs out too and they're they're kind of in the same boat I am so a very disappointing start for Preston Smith and then you know if this is a a self scout uh, you know time for the Packers to look at what they are doing both on offense and, and defense through that bye week. I really want to know what they're thinking of Dean Lowry because to me he hasn't brought anything to the field as a pass rusher. He's been wiped out of way too many plays as a run defender, not holding up at the point of attack. And uh, to me, it's just it, it's time to go with. You know, obviously Kenny Clark when he gets back, but Kingsley Kiki, Tyler Lancaster, even Montrevious Adams, and maybe Billy Wynn. Um, I know they can't call Wynn up anymore, but maybe it's time to add him to the 53. I just think it's time for Les Lowry and, and more of kind of the other guys across the defensive line, um, just because he hasn't provided anything. He used to be able to be, you know, somebody who got his hands up and deflected some passes. We haven't seen that, so um, hopefully he can turn it around, but th- those are kind of my bottom five. As far as my top five, I don't think anyone's uh, going to be too surprised by the names on this list. Uh, Number five, I have Jair Alexander with a plus 3.6. Number four is Aaron Jones with a plus 3.8. And then I can't say enough about number three and two on my list. Both Corey Lindsley and David Bakhtiari have been as close to flawless as you can possibly imagine. Uh, of course, you know, both of them have to be free agents along with Aaron Jones. So two, three and four on my list are all free agents, which is hashtag not great, but uh, all three of those guys just playing fantastic football. And, and for offensive linemen to grade that high, you have to be doing something very, very right and basically never giving up pressures because uh, otherwise they're just inherently going to bring you down. But those two guys have been phenomenal. And then, uh, uh, you guys uh, will only need one guest to know who's number one on that list, and that's, of course, Aaron Rodgers. So that's where I'm at so far. Just to recap quick, Sternberger, Lancaster, Jackson, Preston Smith, and Dean Lowery in my bottom five, and Jair Alexander, Aaron Jones, Corey Lindsley, David Bakhtiari, and Aaron Rodgers in my top five.
4: You know, Andy, I saw something today that Aaron Rodgers is the least pressured quarterback in the league right now so our offensive line is playing with their hair on fire and to counter your point on if the secondary you know anyone goes down I would just like to say that if we need depth Tremont Williams is still a free agent
1: he is (laughs) which he should not be it's ridiculous it's
2: ridiculous but yes very true uh, but yeah, I mean that that just doesn't say. Uh, it says so much about the offense, doesn't it? I mean the offensive line playing with their hair on fire. I like that expression, Perry. That's that's good stuff. I mean it's they've just been that terrific. And, and Perry, not to continue to quote your Twitter from Sunday, but uh, <laughs> you you had the you had the almost viral tweet. I'd say that, that Aaron Rodgers, the last uh, a quarterback with four starts to not throw an interception. This year, so uh, that's that says a lot about Aaron through four weeks. I mean, the guy is is not surprisingly efficient, but as always, he's he's ridiculously efficient, and to be number one, not not surprising at all. So, good and just to give a,
1: a little context, Alex, uh, Aaron Rodgers' grade for me through 18 games a season ago. Was plus fifteen point one five. He's at plus thirteen point nine through four games this year. So wow. like he's basically almost at the same spot he was through eighteen games through through four games. That's how ridiculous he has played so far. He's gonna crush every you know if he continues like this, he's gonna crush every grade I've ever put together in the last three years. So I was
2: gonna I was um, gonna say, is this at like ridiculous rate for the last four years? For is this like the craziest plus you've ever had to deal with? At least probably this early, I'd imagine. But have you ever seen just a uh, you know. 4 weeks span this efficient from anybody on the
1: Packers? No, I mean from a, it's tough to grade every defense or excuse me every um, d- group every grouping is a little bit of a different grading. You know, it, it's not all created equal. So right. sometimes it's really tough to compare like a quarterback to like a safety, for example. <laughs> sure. um, but uh, I think you know zadarius Smith had a, a four-game stretch you know last year that was right. pretty insane. It was, it was probably about a five-game stretch, but um, you know that was that was pretty ridiculous. Um, Rogers has had a couple here and there, but he's trending right now to just blow every grade that I've had uh, away. So he, yeah, he's he's playing amazing.
2: That's very interesting. I was I was curious on that part because I knew he was going to be high. I, I just did, I wasn't sure how high he historically ranks. I guess so. Appreciate the uh, the insight on that. But let's get to our let's get to our questionnaire roundtable, if you will. We're we're each going to post two questions that are kind of open. We'll do some short discussion. On all six, and uh, Perry uh, picked the short stick, so she gets to go first. (laughs) I'm happy to go first. Let's get (laughs) it.
4: Um, Yeah, mine, I was was trying to find tricky ones, and I was like, why do that? Let's just have some fun. So um, who do you guys think is the next offensive player to have a breakout game for the Packers?
2: Because
4: every player has had a game so far.
2: Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. good. I'll I'll lead off, Andy, if you don't mind. I think – Maybe maybe this is a little biased because I produce a show every Tuesday, but I got to go with Jamal Williams. I think, you know, obviously we should be getting back to at least a little bit normal with Devontae next week, but or this upcoming week, I guess already, but. I think Jamal just has opportunities to spread that offense out, and he really showed it, obviously, this past game. I don't know if you would consider that a breakout game since he didn't get into the end zone, but obviously a huge game receiving for him against Atlanta. But I think we're going to have a true Jamal Williams multi-touchdown game as soon as possible, I think. that would That would be my pick. Andy?
1: Yeah, I mean, to some extent, there's not a ton of people left, right? So, right. <laughs> you know, Adams, Jones, uh, and then uh, Tanyan and Lazard have all had their day. So, you, you know, as much as I love him, it's not going to be Mercedes Lewis. You know, A.J. Dillon is, is kind of buried on that list. You know, Tyler Irvin's just not going to get enough touches. So, I mean, you're you're kind of limited to probably MVS if you, you know, don't believe that, you know, maybe he's had it already, um, which I think he he still has more to give, or Jay Sternberger. I mean, I think those are really the – or, again, Jamal Williams, I agree with you. So I think it's it's got to be one of those three players. Um, I, I would probably lean Jamal as well, but I'll be contrarian, so we're not answering the same guy. I'll say Marquez, and I, I still okay. feel like he's just that one big game away – You know, maybe a a six-catch, 130-yard, you know, two-touchdown performance from just getting that ultimate confidence and just really breaking out. We've seen a little bit more consistency out of him, um, and uh, we've seen the playmaking ability. So I definitely don't think it's out of the realm of possibility, especially when Devontae gets back and teams are focusing on Jones and Adams and maybe can't pay as much attention to MBS uh, like they were able to this last week. Uh, I'm going to go with MBS uh, for those reasons.
2: Good stuff, Perry. Did we miss any names that came to mind when you wrote that one
3: up?
4: No, those were the three, Andy. That uh, that I had in mind. I was just curious which uh, which of them you guys would pick. But I agree with both. Both. I think they're both set for it. Week five are. Yeah, and then the Texans, one against the Bucs, one against the Texans.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, as much as I'd love it, he, he mentioned Tyler Irvin. I would love to see a, a Tyler Irvin breakout game because the guy is essentially, you know, the, the backwards uh, Ty Montgomery transition these days. So would love to see him have a breakout game, but I don't know how possible that is. All right, Andy, your turn.
1: Yeah, and just to go back off of that, it would not surprise me to see a Tyler Irvin breakout game on special teams at some point where he has, you know, a touchdown and maybe even another huge return of some sort. So that would not surprise me in any capacity. But uh, all right, so my question, and uh, maybe this is a little bit more negative leaning, which I apologize for, but uh, what's the Packers' weakness that would prevent them from being great? So uh, I guess where I want to go with this is if I told you that at some point the Packers, you know, got eliminated from the playoffs or lost, you know, the Super Bowl, whatever the case may be what is it that you're afraid of that's really preventing them from making that step and winning the Super Bowl this year
4: I can take this one Alex if you it? if you want yeah, it, yeah it's interesting Andy because actually one of the questions and it's not the one I'm going to ask since I think it'll be a similar um similar conversation that I was gonna say was I don't feel like the defense is performing at the same level as the offense. It's pretty obvious. And so I was gonna I was gonna ask, you know, what does this Packers defense have to do to make that jump? And I think this goes to exactly what you just asked is the offense is running. It's humming. But the defense like I hate to say it, but I'm souring a little bit on Pettin. I I I think we have so many great pieces and we're not putting it together like I would want us to. And this might be a cop-out answer, but I honestly feel like it's the run defense. And I know that we kept, you know, Todd Gurley in check, but, like, how impressive is that really? Um, He's not the same player that he used to be in the Falcons' offense, like, in general, was bad on Monday night. So I still feel like there's holes there. And, and I know that we're winning without Kenny Clark, but I don't know how sustainable that is. Agreed. And especially in the playoffs against – you know, we're going to get the best offenses, and honestly, this defense going up, going back to a conversation we had earlier about how amazing the Chiefs are, and they're a team you don't want to see, you know, I've been thinking about, okay, what if it's a Packers Chiefs Super Bowl, like, this defense going up against the Chiefs offense scares the living daylights out of me, and it's not necessarily because I don't think we have the players to stop an offense like the Chiefs, it's that I don't like the way, you know, we get up and then Petten plays so soft once we're up. Like, if we're going to play a dynamic offense like the Chiefs or the Ravens or even Seattle, like, we have to play lights out all four quarters, and we haven't been doing that. So um, I don't know what the fix is necessarily, um, but I would like to see some, some adjustments there.
2: Yeah, garbage time has been a struggle for sure for, for Mike Pettin's defense. That's that's a great point. And I don't think that's a cop-out answer, Perry, because that's exactly where my mind went to, right? Uh, you hope there's no more injuries that are long-term like Kenny's has been, and, and we know we'll get him back into the mix at some point. But the depth of this run defense is not not spectacular. We've seen, you know, cool stories like Chris Barnes and, and Kingsley Kiki have some uh, almost, you know, breakout games in, in a sense. Obviously Barnes more so than, than Kiki, but both those guys have played some nice roles stepping up in, in some absences. So, I again I i not to steal your term, but I don't know how sustainable this is either. That that's exactly where my mind went uh when Andy posed it. Andy I I'd assume you're probably in a similar ballpark.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting, though, and and while, you know, I, I kind of agree that, you know, the Falcons had some interesting, um you know, an interesting offensive game plan, and I'm not sure how much stock you want to put into it, after that, uh you know, Alvin Kamara run in the first quarter, which went for, like, what, 49 yards, which yeah. really wasn't on the defensive line, it was kind of more on the edge being set and kind of some scheme stuff. Um, They really held both Kamara and Latavius Murray, as well as the the Falcons with Todd Gurley, uh, to 3.3-ish yards per carry on about 42 carries after that first quarter uh, run by Kamara. So uh, they've been a little bit better. I've seen improvement, and that was without Kenny Clark. So I I actually feel like with with Chris Barnes and Kamal Martin, uh, you know, Kamal hopefully coming back and and playing a, a part in the inside linebacker group, you know, Kirksey, I think, should be used more as just a straight run defender than a three-down three, three down linebacker. And then, you know, with Clark coming back, I think Lancaster's looked a little bit better. Adams has looked a little bit better. Uh, Kiki has obviously made a jump. I, I think if Zedarius and Preston and Gary can get back to studying a hard edge on the outside, that can clean up some of that stuff. I think they can be a fairly decent run-defending team if they can get all the pieces working together. I like all the players in the secondary right now. Obviously, the offense is clicking on all cylinders. My fear is a little bit Mike Patton's scheme. My fear is a little bit, as I mentioned earlier, if if Jair or King could go down. But, you know, if, if your biggest fear is injuries, you know, every team can say that. I, there's just not a ton that I hate on this team right now. There, I, I like the potential for everything, and I love the fact that even though the defense hasn't looked great so far, you know, even Zedarius, whose stat line is great, hasn't been exactly the Zedarius that we were used to at the end of last season. Preston hasn't been himself. Rashawn's taken the jump, but uh, he hasn't received a ton of playing time yet, especially with the injury. Clark hasn't been in there. We haven't even seen Kamal Martin yet. Like, I still think this defense has a lot to give that we haven't seen yet, and I'm I'm optimistic about the defense, even though maybe it hasn't been great through four games.
2: Your optimism calms me down, um, because y- y- yeah, you you you've studied this, man. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. No, that's 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 good, Perry. Anything else on the defense?
4: Yeah, I know. I mean, I completely agree. I mean, you're you're picking the negatives out of a team that's undefeated and looks great. Um, But it's just that, you know, if there were a few holes that I would plug, those would be it. And if we can just kind of shore that up a little bit, like this is a Super Bowl contending team. I think especially after watching the Seahawks tonight, um, or I should say Sunday night, um, you know, we clearly look like the favorites. The Seahawks defense is also quite bad. Yeah. Um, you know, they have no r- pass rush, and Dalvin Cook is running holes through them. So um, it's it's nitpicking at, you know, a team that's still, you know, A-plus in my mind.
2: Yeah, perfect. it's nitpicking perfection almost to a point. Maybe not perfection, but they, they are perfect in the record books at 4-0. and o. So uh, from pessimism, let's move to optimism. I want to talk about Aaron Rodgers because who doesn't want to talk about Aaron Rodgers? Uh he is on pace to, by far, have the best season of his career. He's he's just uh, he's on pace for just under five thousand yards. He's on pace for fifty two touchdowns, which would be seven more than his career high of, of forty five. I want to ask about the ceiling in this year two Matt Lafleur offense our, our, our sample size of a quarter of the season has been uh, not only MVP level but better than his M- MVP level previously. So. I'm just gonna open it very, uh, very broadly. Well, how do you view? Because I feel like everybody's answer might be a little bit different. How do you view Aaron Rodgers' ceiling in 2020?
1: 45 touchdowns around there, two interceptions, and an MVP and a Super Bowl ring. I think that's the ceiling. I don't know <laughs> yeah. how much. I don't know how much more you want than that. And I, legit, I I mean, I think all of those things are real. I think it'll probably be. Um, you know, maybe closer to, you know, high 30s, low 40s touchdowns. I think, you know, maybe he could get to – he could maybe, guys, get to three or four interceptions. Maybe, oh, my I gosh. Think. I know, which would be devastating. Bring in Jordan Love. I know. exactly. I think it's time. It's Tim Boyle time, to say the least. But, uh, you know, who knows if they'll win a Super Bowl. Those things are impossible to predict. But they can be the number one seed in the NFC. They can go out and win a, a Super Bowl. He can be the MVP. He can hit 40 plus touchdowns and he can hit under five interceptions. I mean, the ceiling is, the you know, wherever you want to put it. There's, there's no ceiling high enough that you could put right now.
4: Um, to quote Mean Girls, the limit does not exist. Like, <laughs> he's, he's like you said, Alex, having a historic year. And for this year to be a historic for Aaron Rodgers, like, that's bonkers. I don't know. How, I don't have another word to describe it. Like, we've seen greatness from him before. And, to you know, especially in the last few years, I think it's been hard to watch what we call and he says down years are better than other quarterbacks years but down years for him and that's kind of been a little bit like a jarring I guess as a fan and then you see him like be so comfortable in this offense and really just trusting everyone and and doing things we haven't seen in so long and he's happy he's enjoying himself um so I think you know, when Aaron Rodgers is smiling on the field, like, if I'm a defense, I'm afraid. And uh, there's a few things, and I think I've talked about this previously, but there's a few things about this season, too, that I think are really playing to his strengths. Um, Not that I'm, you know, I, of course, want fans there, and I would love to be able to go to a game, but the empty stadiums are allowing him to, like, really – hone in on his cadence, he's had the defense jump offsides and get a free play offsides every game so far this season. So it's just everything's coming together, and I agree. I think he hits 50 touchdowns um, for for the season for the first time. Um, I think that he definitely breaks his his passing yards record, Um, which, by the way, if he does that, he then moves to number 10 on the all-time Passing yards leaders oh, list. Wow. He jumps Warren Moon and John Elway. Um, I am personally tracking that a little bit. If you can't tell in my head, um, and so it's just like I said, there, there's no there's no ceiling. Um, and we, I would love to see him finally get an NFC Championship game at Lambeau.
2: Me as well. That, that's that's of course ideal because that again that's never happened. So we, we need to see it. I agree 100%. But when you mention names like John Elway and, and Warren Moon uh, when you're talking about Aaron Rodgers. Not bad company to be in, I, I don't think. Those guys that you know they don't have gold jackets or anything, but uh, yeah, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I think I love that 50 touchdown prediction. I, I think I'm right there with you. Like I said, he's on pace for 52, and he's been playing really nicely for four weeks. We don't know how uh, you know if he's going to be able to keep it at this level, but 50 touchdowns looks possible. He looks like Patrick Mahomes in 2018, where he was just playing on a, such an unbelievable pace, and he didn't slow down. Uh, and I think that's that's what we've got in store for Aaron Rodgers. We just hope that ends in a, in a Super Bowl victory. So I'm with both of you. The ceiling is uh, ridiculous. I didn't understand the Mean Girls reference. Never seen that movie. Might get uh, dragged what? for that. But, yeah, here it goes. Uh, never seen it. Sorry. You got okay. work to do. Yeah, okay, 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 Andy. Let's get you on Thanksgiving first. <laughs> Pot calling the kettle black over here. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Harry, you need to talk so Andy doesn't, please.
4: Okay. Um, my next question is one where I actually don't know the answer, so um, definitely trying to gain some insight from you both. But I'm curious, looking at the rest of the Packers schedule in 2020, like what is the matchup that's going to be the biggest test for them? Like what game coming up is going to be a potential loss or the hardest hardest game to win?
2: I don't this know was one easy. of mine. Yeah. No, oh, go ahead, Andy.
1: No, I, I was going to say, I don't know that there's a specific game. I do think that, you know, overall this next stretch of – what is it like? Four games? Yeah, it's four games. Is going to test the Packers to see, you know, maybe where they're at overall. I think when you go at Tampa, at Houston with Deshaun Watson, I know they haven't been great, but I still think those AFC South, you know, the the interconference games on the road can be a little bit fluky. A lot of unscouted looks. Uh, they got a new head coach. They're one and zero without Bill O'Brien. So I tweeted out when Bill O'Brien got fired that that game just got exponentially harder for the Packers. Um then they have Minnesota which you know um while they may not be a great team right now that's still you know one of those interdivision games and they're going to want to get back that loss from uh week 1 and then you go to 49ers on the road which if you remember last year when the Packers went to California it was never good so <laughs> while I don't necessarily know that any of those games is exactly the the huge litmus test I think as a whole, that group of four uh, will be really good to test the Packers to see where they're at. And I think we'll know a little bit more um, after that stretch of four games than maybe we did after the initial four games. Um, but I don't know that there's a, a really hardcore matchup. I, I, it might just be Tampa. This, this next coming game might be the hardest game left on their schedule, which is crazy to say.
2: I think looking at it through the scope of, of the last you know four or five weeks, I, I would agree with you. Tampa seems like the the, the big one. But I'm glad Perry asked this. Cheers, Perry, because this was one of the ones uh, that crossed my mind, and I'm glad somebody asked it, because I, I don't look at the schedule in front of me and really say, hmm, that's going to be a tough one for the Packers at all. I mean, unless, you, you, yeah, of course you can talk about the Chicago and Minnesota games, but, again, the, both of those teams don't scare me a ton. I think the, the matchup in Tampa Bay will be an interesting one, but I think that's still Packers by double digits isn't a crazy expectation. Uh, Houston doesn't have a head coach, so not that scared. I mean, I know they still have Deshaun Watson and a, and a defense with some pieces, but
3: they don't have a head coach
2: or a GM that's actually you know in a permanent role. So you know, I'm not afraid of Romeo Cornell. at home against Minnesota to, to, to kick off uh, you know the, the month of November. Eh, short break and you go to San Francisco, and as Andy mentioned, last time they played in San Francisco in November, it didn't go too hot, did it? So uh, hopefully they could do better than last year, but San Francisco doesn't look like the team they were last year, as we talked about earlier in the pod. So Mm -hmm. really, yeah, nothing. I mean, Jacksonville doesn't scare me. Indy doesn't. Philly doesn't. Carolina doesn't. Tennessee maybe, but we haven't seen them play in two weeks, so it's it's hard to remember where they're at. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, in short, no, I don't think there's a game on the schedule that really, really, as a Packers fan, makes me nervous at all.
4: That was my reaction also. I definitely think the next two weeks are probably the hardest. Um, and so if we went one and one in the next two weeks, like that wouldn't surprise me right. a ton. Like the Texans, now that Bill O'Brien's not there anymore, could be sneaky. Um but it's so interesting to see the rest of the schedule and like actually have a level of confidence that like the Packers could realistically go in and win each and every one of these games um i do think that you know division games get kind of wonky that they're always played a little bit tougher um, a little bit harder by, by both opponents, and so I think that them losing to either the Vikings or the Bears in some of these next matchups isn't wild. You know, you no. watch like, the Raiders take down the Chiefs, and it's just those division games are just always a little bit different. There's just always yeah. something different about them. Um, but yeah, I mean, my prediction going into the season was the Packers would go 11-5, and and that feels like I set the bar
2: too low for Way them. Way low.
3: Yeah, that's low. So,
4: um, so yeah, I uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens.
2: Yeah, and by no means am I saying, you know, obviously I'm competent, but but in, in no means just to piggyback off what you said. No, by no means am I saying they're going to go 16 and 0. I don't think that's that should ever be a reasonable expectation because you're due for at least one loss every year. And uh, but but 14 and 2 doesn't feel crazy through four weeks, and that's that's probably the best feeling as a, as, as a fan of a football team.
1: Yeah, and that that first round buy if they could get it too would mean a ton to them. I know all the COVID stuff is making really you know things really wonky with buys, but right. when you have a, a week five buy and you're a team that's expected to maybe compete for uh you know a Super Bowl, you know that that late season buy could really come in handy with again a a, a very early buy to start the season. So we could end up with a week eighteen right. and nineteen with stuff anyway, which could get the buy there, but we'll we'll see what happens. But that's going to definitely be something to monitor. Um, I'll jump into mine. We should probably go lightning round for these last couple of questions. But uh, how would you grade Brian Gutekind's 2020 offseason so far? So we're only a quarter of the way through the season. And even then, a draft you can't really, you know, evaluate fully for about three years. But so in free agency, he goes out and get, you know, gets Christian Kirksey, who was okay and then had the injury, which was really his MO going into the season as he couldn't stay healthy. And that's kind of been uh, the case again this year. Rick Wagner, who's played well, but is not a starter at the moment and is not currently part of the, the main offensive line rotation, although he did play some nice tight end this past week instead of uh, Mercedes Lewis. Uh, Devin Funches opted out, which you can't really fault Brian Gutekunst for, but not getting anything from him. He would found John Lovett and Perry Nickerson, as waiver Wire claims, but again, Lovett's played a handful of snaps. Perry Nickerson's been inactive for the entire season, I believe, so far. In the draft, of course, he gets Jordan Love, A.J. Dillon, Josiah Deguara, Kamal Martin, John Runyon, um, Hanson, Stepaniak, Vernon Scott, and Jonathan Garvin, which if you put it all together, it's about a handful of snaps, maybe not too much more. Um, you know, Kamal Martin's been hurt, Josiah is now on IR. Dillon has kind of been a luxury uh, as the number three running back. We know Jordan Love is basically a lottery ticket that'll pay off, you know, later if he does. Um Hanson was released and is on the practice squads. The Pontiac is on the NFL uh, injured list uh, or non-football injury list, I should say. Scott's played a handful of snaps. Garvin's played a handful of snaps, but not a ton of impact from the rookie class. In undrafted free agency, maybe the best move of the offseason, yep. they get Chris Barnes. Um, they let walk Kyler Fackrell, Brian Bulaga, Blake Martinez, BJ Goodson, and Jason Spriggs. I don't think they're missing any of those players. And then they did re-sign Mercedes Lewis, Tyler Irvin, and Mason Crosby, who, while none of them are necessarily a reason why this team is succeeding or like a core part of the team, they all play very important roles, especially Mason Crosby. So it's kind of been this interesting dynamic where – none of the core members of this Green Bay Packers team had anything to do with the 2020 free agency draft, undrafted free agency, et cetera. Maybe a save for Chris Barnes, but I'm just curious your overall thoughts. How would you grade Brian Gutekunst just on his 2020 uh you know, off season.
2: You couldn't go without mentioning your man crush, Chris Barnes, twice in that, could you? Uh, no, I had, yeah. to, I had
1: to mention him a couple times.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I'll give you my rapid-fire response, and I'll let Perry evaluate it better than I can. But, you know, it, it's hard to evaluate, right? Because you said there's not a ton of impact there. You know, maybe if we were giving A.J. Dillon – the ball at the one-yard line, yeah, that'd be that'd be awesome, but that hasn't happened yet, so we'll, we'll see. Um, I think you have to say still at minimum a B uh, because they're four and zero, uh, and it seems to be working out just fine. I mean, obviously, maybe you'd like some more depth in, in the in the uh, rush defense, as we mentioned earlier, but other than that, I mean, they're still four zero. Andy, I still got to give them at minimum a B. I'd probably go B plus though. All right, Perry.
4: Yeah, I was gonna say it's kind of like a net neutral sort of off season for him. Um, like the free agents are serviceable, not crazy impactful, um, and the the draft class. Like I don't like evaluating a draft class in their first season, especially with the philosophy of the Packers is this like draft and develop. Um, but I will say that you know their rookies have you know sprinkled in there some some pretty. Um, impactful snaps. Um, I think John Runyon coming in and and doing sure. what he needed to was was pretty impressive. Um, we are so good. I shouldn't say we. The Packers. I'm not part of that organization. Technically. <laughs> um, the Packers are so good at finding undrafted talent. Like it, it blows my mind. So in that and like our our scouting department, I, I give them you know kind of a hat tip. But yeah, I agree with Alex. It's it's kind of a just a B. It's fine. It's average.
2: Yeah, and as the college student in me knows, you know, Ds get degrees. So even if you evaluate this as a D because uh, not a lot's happened, still it's still good enough to be 4-0, I guess. Andy, Andy, how would you grade it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Perry hit the nail on the head. I think it's – I don't know if I would say a, a B, but it's kind of just an incomplete or we'll see or, you know, it's kind of just middle of the road. I think you can have a scenario where he's had, you know – an A plus, you know, or A last couple seasons, which has really developed the depth on this team. You know, finding players like Alan Lazard and really being a part of the the, the group that hired Matt Lafleur as well. I think, you know, that that has really set this up. Um, I, I don't know that this. Off season particularly has been that great to to maybe take them to the next level, but I ne- I wouldn't necessarily downgrade it either because they haven't needed some of these players because they have had the the depth on the top of the roster. So I, I'm not gonna drag him for it, um, but I, I don't know that I would necessarily you know applaud him for this last off season either.
2: Well said. I think that's the, that's about as fair as you can get. All right, I'm gonna make this as rapid fire as I can, but I was kind of proud of this question. So the trade deadline <laughs> is 22 days away uh, as of as of Monday. So. It's, it's creeping up on us. We already see A.J. Green, maybe, as the amateur lip readers have said, saying, trade me on the sideline. If you're interested in that, I, I don't know. You could be. Uh, so I'm going to ask a, a two-part question, yes or no, and feel free to elaborate as much or as little as you'd like. A, would you like to see the Packers make a move in the trade deadline and maybe either a position or if there's a player that comes to mind, and B, do you think they make a, a move in the trade deadline? Let's throw it to, uh, let's throw it to New York first, Perry.
4: Um, wow do I think that they're going to no
2: Okay,
4: Um, I think that we unless it's for draft capital but like our cap situation is a little precarious at the moment and we have a lot of free agents that we potentially want to sign so I don't see them signing anyone to money Um, Russ Ball is a magician but he's not that good Um, and is there anyone that I would want us to go get maybe a defensive lineman but like honestly no i i just think this team is is complete enough and they're and they're doing what they need to with the players that they have and in looking at the cap and looking at our free agent class not just in this coming off season but this following one too uh i just don't see it happening
1: yeah i think Brian Gudekinst will be active in conversations but here's the big thing They can't take on salary cap, like, at all um, with what's coming for next year. I mean, they can take on a little bit. So what you'd be looking at is a player similar to what happened with Leonard Williams a season ago, if you kind of think back to that, where he was in the last year of his deal, and, uh, you know, what was it? The Jets basically knew they weren't going to bring him back, and, uh, you know, they were able to get maybe a a pick for him when they they knew they weren't going to re-sign him but he was still really cheap in that last year of his contract. So I think you almost have to look at players who are in that last year of their deal. Um, I know there's been some rumblings. Desmond King hasn't been getting a ton of playing time with the Chargers. I think he's in the last year of his deal. Um, that could maybe be somebody that makes sense. if they. This is, again, if they maybe would need uh, a safety or something like that. Maybe if somebody got hurt. Marcus May for the Jets is in a similar situation. You're looking for bad teams who have good players in the last year of their deal for a team that maybe doesn't have the cap to re-sign some of these players. Um, what you could also end up with is teams like the Texans and the Falcons. If they're bad, um, they may not have the GM to be making those moves, and the owner <laughs> may say, "You know what? We're not going to be uh, <laughs> we're not going to be making any moves until we actually get the GM that we want in the door." Because we, you know, we don't want the future anything in the future decided until they get in the door. You also come up with a situation where there's now 14 teams that are getting into the playoffs rather than 12, and while that may not seem like a huge difference. The teams that are hovering around, uh, you know, maybe a little bit below 500 may now have a shot to get in, which may take, you know, five or six teams off of the trade deadline that would normally be on it. So you're talking about a lot of contingencies here where a lot of the teams that may normally look to deal may not be dealing, and Green Bay doesn't have the cap to take someone on. So there's, there's there's that big piece of it. And then I, I think the other thing, even if you're looking at the NFC East, all of those teams might be in the running for a playoff spot, even if they don't have any wins because they're all terrible. So, like, <laughs> what teams are going to be looking to deal in yeah. if they interested in any of those players? So I think there will be conversations It wouldn't shock me if they got maybe maybe made a minor move, uh, but I wouldn't necessarily expect it.
2: Okay, fair. Yeah, that's, that's a way I hadn't thought of it before with the expanded playoff. I think that's a, that's a brilliant point, Andy. Good stuff. Um, let's do another rapid-fire round while we're at it just to wrap up the show here. Uh, our crew here at Packaday will obviously be doing a lot of Packers-Bucks previews this week, but uh, since we're a Monday show, we, we don't do a ton of it, but I'd like to do a sentence each, so I'll, I'll, I'll uh, fill some time while you guys let it brew in your head a sentence of maybe what you're looking forward to, what you're looking at, just a thought on the Buccaneers uh, hosting the Packers on Sunday afternoon. I, I picked on Perry last time, so we'll, we'll, we'll go to the nine two zero, Andy.
1: Yeah, just a couple really quick thoughts. I think that Vita via injury is going to be really devastating for the Buccaneers. They don't really have a player like him. Most teams don't uh, that can kind of come in and fill in. And I think if you look at their linebackers, Devin White and Levante David, those are two fly-to-the-football linebackers that really need space eaters in front of them so that they're not going to get caught on blocks. Um, and can go and just get to the football and make plays. So I think that loss to Bita Vea is, is a very major loss for that Tampa Bay defense. And then just really quick, I cannot wait to watch, um, you know, Tristan Wirfs, Ryan Jensen, and Allie Marpet, who have been fantastic along that offensive line, hopefully against Zedarius and Kenny Clark and Rashawn Gary and that full Kingsley Kiki, Preston Smith, that whole group of Packers rushers. I think that really could decide the game, that, that Packers front versus the, the Bucks offensive line. That's what I'm going to kind of be watching for. Good stuff. Perry?
4: Yeah, I'm looking at the, the Bucks secondary. Um, I think their, you know, kind of combo of Carlton Davis, Jamel Dean, Jordan Whitehead, Anton Winfield Jr. is pretty stellar. Um, they're playing pretty well. Carlton Davis already has three interceptions in five weeks, um, which is wild. Uh, taking the same draft as Jair actually. So, um, I think this is gonna be the actual like kind of first test on on our passing attack and Aaron Rodgers' accuracy and um, I know that we, you know, he's very uh, turnover adverse, but the secondary is pretty legit. And I, um, I really enjoyed watching Anton, Anton Winfield Jr. Um, but if someone tells me one more time that his dad was in the NFL, I might scream. <laughs> um, but I, I just think that this is going to be a, a pretty big test on our wide receivers. And I'm looking forward, definitely looking forward to having Devontae back against them.
2: One hundred percent. I was going to say that the Packers offense, uh, after a week off, and obviously throwing Devontae back into the mix, I'm excited to see uh, what they're what they're hitting on. Obviously, 30 points in every game this year. Their their offense is going to be something to watch in that game as a whole. But I, I, I'm looking at both offenses. Uh, obviously, uh, some injuries mixed into both offenses. Uh, Tom Brady has put up 30 points in two of their three wins this year. Only put up 19 in their loss to Chicago on Sunday, so we know it will be a, a, a bounce-back type of week or looking for a bounce-back for uh, the GOAT and Tom Brady. A, I'm, I'm looking at the offenses. I think, I think we could get into a shootout uh, type of shootout. I don't think it will be like a 40-35 to 35 game, but I think it, it could be a, a high-scoring and we're comfortable with at least through the first four weeks. So I'm looking at, uh, at the two great future gold jacket-wearing quarterbacks going head-to-head uh, for potentially the final time. Love it. Good stuff, guys. That's uh, Andy Herman at Andy Herman NFL on Twitter. Perry Goldstein in the NYC joining us. I know it's late over there, Perry. Always appreciate the time, and it's good to be back with you guys. At Perry underscore Goldstein on Twitter for her. I'm at Alex underscore Strofe, and we are at Packaday Podcast. Guys, uh, always great to catch up with you, and we'll, we'll do it again soon. Can't yeah, wait.
4: Can't
3: wait. Go pack.